Now the young man Samuel was ministering to the Lord under Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called to Samuel, and he said, Here I am, and ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. And the Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the young man. Therefore, Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down, and if he calls you, you shall speak. Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. Father in heaven, thank you that you call us your children. You call us by name. We're so grateful for your love for us. Pour it out on us now in the fullness of your spirit, in the presence of your son standing among us. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Good evening. Welcome, everybody. It's good to see you at All Saints East Dallas for just a few more weeks. We're becoming St. Bartholomew's. Just as a reminder, if you hear voices behind you, we do have translators that are translating in tonight. We have Farsi. So everybody look back at Peron and wave at Peron. Oh, she loves to be embarrassed. <laughs> um, so don't be alarmed at the voices behind you. It's either that or my kids. So Tonight is the first Sunday of Ordinary Time. Ordinary Time sounds boring, doesn't it? sounds so ordinary, but it's not. It's deep. It's rich. It's beautiful. It's the context in which that call of God to us as his sons and his daughters gets worked out day after mundane day, after grinding, grudging, trudging day. It's long. It's boring. We can feel like we can get lost in the middle of it, but it's so important to us because it's the majority of our lives, isn't it? Sometimes we get to go to far-off countries and, and do mission work and, and learn. Or sometimes we get to be with the people that we love most in beautiful places. Or sometimes we're with God in this remarkable way. Maybe it's in a church or at your house or whatever. But most times you don't. Most times it's just life. And that's what ordinary time's all about. And it's about how God is working in us in the unseen ways to bring about life. That's why we have this beautiful color green. That's why when you look outside so far, the heat notwithstanding, everything is green outside. But after yesterday's heat, I was terrified. 
is ready for the fall. I want us to hear something as I talk tonight about becoming a people. We're going to look over the next 10 weeks at Israel's story, a chapter in Israel's story of becoming a people. And we're going to look specifically at the establishment of the monarchy. Maybe some of you have watched documentaries about kings and queens and things like that, or you've, you've read novels about all that kind of stuff. So think about monarchy, but the establishment of the monarchy for the nation of Israel. And there's a lot that we can gain. There's some insight that we can gain as a people who are becoming St. Bartholomew's as we look at this chapter in Israel's story. But the thing I want you to see tonight is that this particular chapter in Israel's story, just like most of the chapters in Israel's story, and really if you look at Scripture as one big narrative or one big story, it begins with a call from God. And you... If you're in Christ, if you have received his authority, if you've surrendered yourself to him, you're filled with the Spirit of God, you're walking with him, keeping his commands, as Jesus said, if you love me, remember, you'll keep my commands, all that kind of stuff, or at least you're falling forward and trying to do that, you are a child of God. That is your primary identity, that you, because of the call of the Father, Jesus said we can call God the Father Abba, which for Jewish people is the way they would say like Papa or even Daddy, but maybe not with the childish connotations. Like a grown adult probably wouldn't call their dad Daddy, but definitely a grown Jewish person would call their father Abba, this deep, intimate term. And so I want you to hear that first and foremost, that the primary call that you and I hear, the primary call that Holy Scripture issues beginning with Adam and Eve through to Abraham, etc., on and on through to Christ and to the end of time when there will be a new heaven and a new earth. It's all oriented around this call that God says, you are mine. In Christ, you are mine. I knit you together in your mother's womb. Before there was a day written of you, before you ever lived a day, I knew everything about you. I knew every word before you mentioned it. I knew the troubles, the heartache, the utter catastrophe that you will face, and I'm with you. So it's all initiated by our Father. And we have to remember, because he called us, he's good, He's loving. If we're ever tempted from something, it's to forget our primary identity is in God as his children. And we look at a very special child of God tonight. So it just so happens that the beginning of this chapter in Israel's history, the establishment of the monarchy, begins with a call. And it begins with a call to Samuel. Does anybody know about Samuel? Did you sing the spiritual As a child about Samuel, I don't know, maybe I'm thinking of Daniel. Dang it. See, sometimes I try to make cultural references, and I think they're just going to be like, not a home run, but maybe a, you know, a single over the shortstop. No. Anyway, Samuel. So Samuel (laughs) experiences this call. Now, Samuel is the son of Elkanah and Hannah. Hannah was barren, so Elkanah had two wives, Penina, or Penina, however you'd like to say that, I don't know. It didn't last in the, uh, the hall of names, but Hannah did. <laughs> Penina 
had five children, but Hannah had no children. And one day when they were at Shiloh, remember as Joshua and the nation of Israel went through the land of Canaan, they made conquest and they set up the tent of meeting, not in Jerusalem, that wasn't going to happen yet. They set it up at Shiloh so the people would go and sacrifice. They'd go worship the Lord at Shiloh. They go and peer before the priest Eli and Hannah's uttering this prayer with all of her heart and she's uttering it so powerfully that Eli thinks she's drunk. What's with all the stories in the Bible of people thinking that they're drunk? Remember Pentecost? Just a few weeks ago. She says, oh, no, no, I'm not drunk. I'm just, I'm praying for this. And, you know, and Eli, you know, says some sort of like, you know, can blessing. Oh, you know, the Lord grant you whatever you want, whatever. Goodbye. Well, shortly thereafter, she, she and Elkanah conceive. She, and she makes a promise in that prayer, though, to God that she will give this son to God. Now, imagine that. That the one thing that you've, you feel that you've never been allowed to have, and that when it finally comes, you think, well, do I really have to give it away? But with, with what faithfulness? Hannah obeys the Lord. And she gives this young boy Samuel, takes him to the, to the tent of meeting, to the temple, as the book of 1 Samuel calls it. And there he is, a young man. Adopted into Eli's family. So Samuel's not of the family of priests, but he's adopted into this family of priests. And Eli's other two sons are literally worthless. That's what the Bible says of them. They're up to a lot of no good. So much so, and you'll see what happens to Eli's family. But Samuel receives a call from God. And notice a couple of things. If you have your bulletin, it's on page two. Notice, first of all, the context of the call. First of all, Samuel's position. It says, now the young man Samuel was ministering to the Lord under Eli. Okay, so he's got some sort of role. He's like an altar boy or he's, you know, taken out the, the carcasses that were sacrificed, something. You know, he, he's doing some work under Eli in the house of the Lord. And it says in this particular example that he was lying down in the temple of the Lord. So because of Hannah's faithfulness, because of Hannah and Elkanah's expectancy, there she is lying down. There he is, Samuel, lying down in the temple of God, ministering under Eli before the ark of God. Now notice the spiritual climate, climate in the context of this call. What does it say? Second half of verse one. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. Okay? So not much is happening spiritually. There's not a lot going on. There's, you know, you're singing verses one, two, and five of the hymn. You're going home. Got my, got my communion. Not a lot going on. The, ver, the word of the Lord was rare in the, those days. Moreover, there was no frequent vision. As I read that, you know what I see? There's no leadership. The person that's supposed to be leading, Eli, presumably, is not leading. In fact, he can't even lead his household. He can't keep these two worthless sons who are serving as priests in order. They're philandering. 
They're extorting the people out of their possessions when they come to sacrifice. There's no frequent vision. So the word of the Lord is rare. There's no leadership. Moreover, look at verse 2. At that time, Eli, oh, by the way, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see. Not only was there no frequent word of the Lord, not only was there no vision, no leadership, no, no inspiration, but the guy who's supposed to be leading us is as good as blind. His eyesight had grown dim. Moreover, second half of verse 2, he was lying down in his own place. Now, when I read that as a rudimentary student of literature and beautiful things, you know what I see? Eli's as good as dead. He's lying down in his own place. I mean, he's a bag of bones. So the author is telling us something. The context of this call is that one era, one phase, one period is about to come to an end and another is about to ascend, is about to rise. So Eli is lying down in his own place. And then look lastly, verse 3, the lamp of God had not yet gone out. So Eli, the priest, the leader, is there's no frequent word of the Lord, there's no vision, he's, as bl he's blind, and he's as good as dead, but the lamp of God had not yet gone out yet. There was still hope. There was still time. There was still somehow that the Father could speak into this dead people, this context, and he does. So that's the context of the call. Secondly, we hear and see the call. Notice what happens to Samuel. God calls out his name. Samuel, 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 Samuel. And Samuel still doesn't get it. Did you notice what it said, though, that Samuel didn't know? Verse 7, now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. And the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Now some of you, good with good evangelical backgrounds, would ask, well, how is he ministering before the Lord then? He was in God's house, adopted into a family of the people of God. And God was waiting for the right time to make himself known to him. It's a lot like the same initiation that Elkanah and Hannah gave to Samuel in giving him to the Lord at the temple. It's a lot like what we do at baptism. We give these children to God knowing that at some point they have to hear and appropriate for themselves the word of the Lord. That's why we confirm later so that we can say, you know what? You, you have heard the Lord. You do know God. I think that's beautiful that Samuel is sitting here hearing God call out his name in a time when there's no vision, there's no leadership, the, the leader's as good as dead, and God calls out Samuel. Samuel. So what will Samuel do? Verse 11. Well, you don't have it, but it's, in your, it's not in your bulletin, but it's in the Bible. This is what Samuel's going to do. Now think about this. He's a young man. Who, who knows how old he is? Maybe a teenager just now getting into teenage things, you know, like Snapchat and other items that teenagers might get into. And God says this to Samuel. Then the Lord said, Behold, I'm about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. 
Verse 12, on that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. In other words, God's about to bring an end to Eli's house. God's about to bring an end to the incompetent leadership that Eli had given. And guess who's going to get to announce that? Samuel. Did you know that God is going to call you to do things that you don't think that you're ready to do? I mean, really, the fundamental call of being his child. You may not feel adequate. I can't be a child. God doesn't really love me. You may object. You may stiff arm. But he does. Absolutely. Without hesitation. Without a doubt. He is going to ask you and invite you. He's not going to force you. If anybody could make us do anything, it would be God. But he doesn't. He invites us. He calls to us. Samuel, Neil, Elijah, Daniel, Matt. He calls to us and he invites us to take on his vision so that his word might be frequent in our lives, so that we might bear fruit. Now, we are becoming St. Bartholomew's. We are becoming a people. Why is that? Is it because somebody had the bright idea of planting a church in East Dallas? No. What did I say at the beginning of the sermon? Were you listening? Just kidding. I'm really not judging you. I'm just pointing. That everything begins with God. It's all his initiative. The calamity that we endure and the rejoicing that we bask in, it all begins with God. So why are we becoming St. Bartholomew's? Because God has called us. He's called us by name. He's calling us to be a people. He's calling us perhaps to even do things and to be a church that we don't feel like we have any capability whatsoever to be. But you know what? It doesn't matter what we think about ourselves because what God believes about us, because what God declares about us is, period. There's no qualification. There's no need to look up another verse. There's no need to think to myself, is that really true? It is true. And it's up to us to rest in it, to just be in it. We find Samuel in a state of being. We read in, before chapter 3 that he's growing in, in wisdom and in favor with God and with man. He's just minding his own business, doing his little Samuel thing, and God is blessing him. When we answer the call of God, he will take care of the details. He's the one that split the Red Sea. Do you remember when Moses struck the rock twice? Now God told him to strike the rock, remember in Numbers? And they don't have any water, and everybody's freaking out. And Moses and Aaron go to the tent of meeting, same tent of meeting, that's at Shiloh right now. They go to the tent of meeting, they fall on their face. God, what are we going to do to these people? They're going to kill us, we don't have any water. We're going to die. But they go expecting to hear from God. And God speaks to them, and he says, hey, take that staff from before my presence and go and strike the rock. And instead of just striking it once, Moses is a little bit like me and he takes it and he strikes it twice because what if once isn't good enough? What if once doesn't produce enough water? 
What if once doesn't get us to worship on Sunday morning? What if once doesn't bring more people to faith in Christ? What if once doesn't establish us as our own church? Insert your own thing that you are attempted to manhandle and strike the rock twice with. So Moses strikes the rock twice and God says, because you didn't trust me, you won't get to enter the land. When God calls us, all we have to do is answer and follow. Friends, don't manhandle it. We don't have to create something that's not there. Let me stay on my notes. It's part of the call. So Samuel's going to preside over transition. Moreover, Samuel will be established as a prophet. Verse 19, it's in your Bible, not in your bulletin. And Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. Wow. So Samuel was experiencing this great favor. He was kind of riding on cloud nine. People were beginning to see, it says, from Dan all the way down to Beersheba. Now Dan is up north near the border, modern-day border of Lebanon. It's beautiful. It's where I would want to live if I lived in Israel because there are streams and mountains and honey made from bees and as opposed to the other honey, which in the old days, like when you read about honey in the Bible, it's usually from dates aside. Dan's beautiful. All the way down to Beersheba. Remember Beersheba, that ancient place that Abraham stopped? all the way down in the Negev, the desert, close to the Sinai. From all the way up there, and this, you know, no internet, no phones, no television, people knew that Samuel was God's prophet and that God had established him. And the Lord appeared again to Shiloh, at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. If there was any mistake we see and know and understand that Samuel was called to be a prophet. Now, remember, what is this chapter in Israel's history all about? Monarchy. We haven't talked a lick about kings or queens, have we? Before you can have a king, you got to have a prophet to anoint the king. And remember, this all begins with God. And before you have a prophet, you have to have a loving, generous, wise God, who says, Samuel, Samuel. Now, what is our call? What is our call as St. Bartholomew's? You may remember back in January and February, we went through five weeks of a, of a vision of St. Bartholomew. And I want to read to you some of that vision put together in kind of a couple of sentences. This is built on the foundation that we're called to be God's children, period. Heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ, St. Paul says. Filled with the Spirit of God. Now, we as St. Bartholomew's are called by God and Christ. Now, some of you may, won't recognize some of this terminology because we've been talking about it here. But we're each called from our own Galilee. Remember Galilee? It was the place where Bartholomew was from. It was the place that was not really highly thought of. A place that was overlooked and forgotten. We're called from our own Galilee to live in the freedom of the children of God, to be fully human. We're called by God and Christ to put our head, heart, and hands to the plow, loving what St. Bartholomew believed and preaching what he taught, and going in the Spirit's power where the Father 
sends us. That's our call. Basically, we're called to live in the freedom of God, to love him, to love our neighbor, to go out on mission when he sends us, to love what St. Bartholomew believed, that is Jesus, to preach what St. Bartholomew taught, that is Jesus, and to be fully human. We see a perfect picture of what it means to be fully human in our Lord Jesus Christ. Hmm. But to make this transition, we need to be ready. Now, we've had to do a lot of little things, like we, we have a new logo that will be unveiled July 1st. We, we're working on a new website. Uh, we have our own P.O. box, which I check religiously. Thank you for your laughter. I have a lot of friends at the post office, a lot of interesting people in our fair city. There are all those sorts of things, but God really wants us to be ready mentally, but much more so spiritually, emotionally. Anytime we experience change, things, it, it kind of upsets the apple cart. Now, it's not like, you know, three weeks, four weeks from now, five weeks from now, it's going to look a lot like this with all of our people. But things will be different. We'll, we'll, we'll mourn the loss that we won't have the same, you know, fun orange. So, we're, you know, we're going to mourn that loss of this name recognition and connection with all saints, of the logo, different fonts, different colors. So there will be things that we need to mourn, and I want you to be ready to do that, to acknowledge that, because the more we stuff those things down, then when something bad happens, just read 1 Samuel, lots of bad's going to happen. When something bad happens, then we have all this anxiety and animus that comes out. We don't know where it comes from. We realize, you know what, we didn't process this change. So I want us to be ready emotionally, but I want us to be ready spiritually because God is going to continue to do things in you in me and through all of us to continue to reach East Dallas, Garland, Mesquite, Richardson and beyond. He's going to continue to teach us what it means to live in the freedom of the children of God, to be fully human, to love what Bartholomew believed and preach what he taught, to be sent for him on mission, whether that means across the street or across an ocean. We have to be ready spiritually. Now, what does that mean? What does that look like to be ready? Well, I have three, three things I want to offer you for what it means to be ready. First of all, it means to be at peace. Be at peace. Peace is easy to say, but it's hard to live in or to attain. We need to be at peace, knowing that even though anything can happen, God is in control. This is also applicable to your wider life. <laughs> Be at peace. God is good. He's loving. He's trustworthy. And he presides over everything. Think of Samuel and the difficult word that he was about to have to speak to Eli. And Eli said, tell me what the Lord said. And Samuel hesitated. And Eli said, no, Tell me now. In Samuel, we have to say with this measure of peace, with this sort of differentiation that he received from God, spoke that word, be at peace. Second way to be ready is be expectant. 
St. Paul says, God can do infinitely more than we can ask or imagine. I, presumably you too, we usually set limits on what God can do. Fair enough? We usually set limits on what God can do. But think of Hannah and Elkanah offering their son to God. He's yours, God. Think of the little boy giving his fish and his loaves to the disciples so that the disciples could give to Jesus. What did Jesus do? He fed people, but he also fed them with their deepest desire. This is the one we've been waiting for, a one who will prepare a feast for all nations. Be expectant. Don't let your expectations and don't let me, let my expectations set limits on what God will do. Agreed? Please? Yes? Okay. And be present. We have to be present to God. Guys, God is speaking all the time. He's always calling out to us. He's always inviting us deeper into relationship with him, further up and further in, as C.S. Lewis says in The Great Divorce. He's always giving us opportunities. If we will only be present to him, present to others, present in the moment where we can say, oh my gosh, maybe I shouldn't be such a jerk to that person. Or you know what? Even though that neighbor really is really special and I really love them, really, I should talk to them more. It's hard to be present. It takes a lot of energy to be present even to those in our own households. But to be ready, we need to be present. And think of the young man Samuel lying in the temple because what did he do when he heard his name called? He didn't run and hide. He didn't go find an excuse. He certainly didn't go to a scroll and try to justify, well, what does this mean? He said, here I am. Speak. Guys, Jesus Christ is the word of God. The Father wants to speak him in fullness into our lives, appropriated by the Holy Spirit, enlivened by the Spirit of God. As we become St. Bartholomew's, as we engage in these practices of being ready, who knows what God will do? It's a blank slate. It's a blank check. All the resources of heaven, God is going to use to do his mission because he's the one that said, church, I've called you to become St. Bartholomew's. I've called you to East Dallas. Go. I want you to be ready. This week, I want you to do one thing. I normally don't give you homework, but I want you to pray and I want you to ask God to make you ready. Now, that means for anything. It's not just related to the church. But I want, him to, I want you to ask him. I pray for you guys every day. God, help us be ready. God, give us what we need. Provide for us what we need. Ask God to make us, to make you and me ready for the things that he's going to do that are beyond our expectations, that are limitless. Let's pray. God, we love you. Father, even for the seasons of life that we're in right now, where we don't have an explanation, where we're frustrated, where we're scared, where we're broken, where we're so numb to life that we don't even know how to respond, 
we beg of you to make us ready. If it's just to hear you say our name, make us ready. We pray it through Jesus, your Son, our Lord, and in the power of your Spirit, your breath breathed into us. Amen.